Hey guys, this is Zach. And this is Stuart. And this is the Back Row Super Show. This is a convention coverage episode. Yeah, this is uh, where we go through and um, we go to conventions that were nice enough to offer us like press badges and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah. so this this particular episode is on Anacrocon 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, their theme was the Roaring Twenties. Ah, um, a good theme. It's a good theme because we're in the the twenties now. Um, Crazy. It's uh, February fourteenth through sixteenth. Yes. Uh, so it was this past weekend. Yeah, on on Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's kind of rough. The uh, uh, sad news about this one is that it's the last one. Um, it was started in '09, so it was a twelve year run. Oh, that's, that's pretty a good for a long con. run. Yeah, yeah. for um, cons around this size. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a particular number of the attendees? or uh, I did not get any uh, attendance numbers. Okay. It was p- more packed on Saturday, I think, because Friday was Valentine's. Yeah. Also, traffic. Um, it took me about an hour and a half to get there oh, from fun. where I'm at, which on is not very Saturday. Far. On Friday. Oh, on Friday. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, the, um, the, the traffic was a killer because it was a holiday weekend, unspoken holiday weekend. Yeah. Um. Which is a little unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be kind of curious to find out why they chose this particular weekend, if it was just... Probably availability. Yeah. So yeah. where, where was it held at? It was at the Hilton Atlanta Airport, which mm-hmm. is where Hulanta was. Okay, yeah. Um... And Conjuration is now. Yeah, that's yeah. A, a very nice venue. Um, yeah. And to be transparent, um, unfortunately, I was not able to make it to this particular con. Right. So I'll be asking a lot of questions to yeah. Zach. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I have good information from panels. Um, so let's kick it off from there. All right. You can just ask me more about it. Um, I guess the uh, the first thing I did, uh, appropriate enough, was the... Uh, and this was on Friday, right? Yes, this is yeah. on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to something titled S-Punk Rocks the Roaring Twenties in the main room. Okay. Um, S-Punk, S-Punk is the singer of a band called Dreaming Shadows. It's uh, two guitar players and a singer. Hmm. Um, they say that they have a Suzy Sue Cure Dark 80s influence in okay. their sound. Cool. Um, but S-Punk is just the, the singer of that group. So he did a solo show as an opening act to the convention. Oh, nice. Um, the solo sound was kind of like a Cure meets 80s hair metal type thing. Wow, it was that's really, it's strange. A really cool a performance. He was a uh, combination. <laughs> well, he was in full costume. He had a, this this dyed Rufio style mohawk. <laughs> um, it was kind of a mix of a show and a panel because he okay. would have stage banter between his songs, um, kind of introducing them and then sprinkling in alt history stuff like vampires and Vikings and stuff like that. Ah, kind of, um, yeah, kind of like, I guess, uh, Voltaire. Uh, not like Voltaire, because Voltaire is more like a narrative. This was more like introducing each song, but it would have like elements of like uh, Cthulhu and, and mm. Vikings and vampires, stuff like that. Interesting. Um, the uh, other panel, uh, or another panel I went to, was the uh, the ancient history of alternate history on the oh. red track. Oh, um, going back to the uh, S Rock. Um, what was his costume? You said that he had a mohawk, but like, what else was he kind of like wearing? Um, so it was it was stage gear. So it was it was more like um, there was it looked like a leather corset over like a uh, yellow like 
spandex bodysuit. I think maybe that's why I was thinking hair metal. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I know with Anacrocon, um, the big thing is, like, costuming and uh, kind of yeah. getting into that, like, steampunk sort of... Yeah, they, um, they have a lot of different tracks. Like, the ones I did were either in the main ballroom or lit or history or science, but they have costuming, fabrication. Cool. Um, showing people how to make props and armor and stuff like that. It's yeah. It's more of a maker convention, to be honest. Like, the majority oh. of the programming seemed to be in those tracks. Okay. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of outdoor stuff. They had live steel demonstrations. Oh, um, that's really cool. They had... Uh, Tobacco, like pipe tobacco blending, hmm. um, where you can kind of make your own batch and. <laughs> wow! Yeah, that sounds Stuff really like that. cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know that with uh, the steampunk sort of. Um, costuming and stuff a lot goes into those particular costumes like yeah plus the weather really worked out because it was a little bit chilly like i couldn't imagine wearing a lot of the costumes in june yeah god (laughs) it would be just ridiculous miserable i mean i've seen people just being miserable at dragon con wearing that stuff that's like yeah 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 like pith helmets and wool suits yeah and and just like giant skirts and (laughs) yeah (laughs) all sorts of like metal mechanicus sort of things yeah 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 but the uh so so yeah the um ancient history of alternate history uh on the lit track um what do you think the earliest alternate history work is Ooh, um i would guess Fairly early. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of authors probably took liberties and changed some things in. Yeah, well, like, so so that was one of the responses that people had. Yeah. Is, you know, are creation myths? Yeah. Do like those, those count? count? Yeah. Um, is Dante's Inferno fan fiction? Yeah. Like, those are those are some questions that came up. Um, How the, did they respond to those? So the earliest one is actually, which, I mean, yeah, I think one of the panelists mentioned, does Dante's Inferno count as fanfic? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if he's creation writing. myths are altered in history. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the consensus or the, the, the earliest instance of it that one of the panelists brought up was in uh, 64 BC, there was a work that imagined what if Rome fell? Mm-hmm. Because the Roman Empire did fall, obviously. But yeah. A few centuries after that, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, like CNC. I don't know when Rome actually fell. I guess I could have looked it up, but I didn't. Um, I want to say around 200 AD. So you know, this is this is 250, 264 years before. Yeah, that's the the guidepost. Yeah, I mean, and with writers, it's a really interesting space to explore with these alternate. Um, I guess, universes or alternate, like, history sort of things. Yeah. And it's a really interesting, like, thought process that you can, like, jot it down and write it down and sort of be like, what happened if something else happened or, you know, if... Right. Yeah, well, and and one of the things that they brought up is, um, you know, Shakespearean histories and stuff. Like, a lot of those uh, Mm -hmm. were popular, obviously, in the 16th century. Um, Arthurian history is... Kind of a blend of fan fiction and also alternate history, if yeah. that makes sense. I can like, definitely see it as fan. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the majority of them are, are um, that, that were brought up were kind of uh, Civil War reimaginings. Um, yeah. So usually there's Gosh. like extended periods of stalemate. Um, yeah. The South winning the war. You know, like Harry Turtledove is an author oh, okay. that kind of made his bones on that. Yeah, I um, remember when I worked at Barnes and Noble, just like. 
a lot of people were interested in that particular series and I started reading it a little bit and it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy's just writing about, like, what happens if the South won? It's like, ooh. Yeah, well, I think his first big book was, like, the conceit of it was that modern-day racists travel back in time yeah. ak AK-47s. Yeah, and supply the South with automatic rifles. And it's rifles. like, I... That's weird. That's a weird approach I mean, to take. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, one of the books that they actually brought up, which I actually kind of want to make one of our book clubs, maybe. Okay. Um, is uh, Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Oh, I've, I've never heard about read that. It. Yeah. Never read it. Like, uh, apparently, it ends like a lot of alternate histories did in the, the 1800s, where it's just like, it was all a dream. dream. Yeah. Not uh, saying that's the ending of that one, but like, it's. It doesn't necessarily count as an actual alternate history because it was like dreamscape. Or yeah. Like, this is something someone else told me. <laughs> no, I would actually be interested in that. Yeah, I've never read that particular work by um, Mark Twain. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and they were also saying that. And like, that's kind of like a classic. I feel yeah. like people probably read that oh, yeah, for like yeah, yeah. school and stuff like that. I, I've, I've never read it. Yeah. So it would be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. It would be, uh, I guess, a book that neither of us has read before. Yeah. I don't think we have done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of us has normally read one. So maybe yeah. in the future. Maybe. Yeah. Um, they also brought up um, that, you know, a lot of the early alternate histories are essentially essays and thought experiments. Yeah. Uh, like the one Which from 64 see. BC is more like, what would have happened if Rome... Yeah, where it's not away? like an actual story. It's more just like kind of writing down your thoughts of what, what exactly would happen. I assume that it wasn't like a story base where there was like a narrative or something along those yeah. lines. It was just like these particular actions would happen and this would action would happen and it would yeah. be like a butterfly effect or something like that. Well, it's funny. I, I read earlier in the year uh, an early gothic novel called Castle of Otranto. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first recognized piece of gothic literature. Hmm. And it I forget when it's from. I think maybe late 1600s, early 1700s. But it's before people realized how to use punctuation for novels. So there's no ah. quotation marks. It's just a new line break. Yeah. Uh, there's no periods, really, at Ugh. the end of lines. It's just commas. It's got to so be hard to read. I mean, it was... So the first, like, 10, 15 pages are very, like, what's going on here? Yeah. Who's saying what? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the panelists also brought up a book that I toyed around with adding um, maybe to one of my future picks. But mm-hmm. I think I've decided against it, just given the subject matter, is um, Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle. Have you ever read that? No, I know of the author. I know. Yeah, so but. he – it was his first, like – Novel rather than short story. Yeah. Um, so the whole concept of it is that Nazis won World War Two, right? Oh, okay. And yeah. so in the book, they they mention that that uh, in the book there's a story called the Grasshopper Sleeps. Mm-hmm. That in that story postulates what would have happened if the Nazis lost, right? So Dick does his normal layering thing yeah. where there's an alternate history buried within an alternate, alternate history. history. But the alternate history, history is actually is, the yeah. real history, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really that's, mind-bending yeah. stuff. Um, that's interesting. Right. Um, they brought, brought up pulp magazines in the 30s, tended to deal with that. Watchmen, the TV, and the comic oh, okay. are both alternate histories. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Ground Beneath Your Feet by Salman Rushdie is an alternate history of music. I don't know if you've ever read it. I, I, I read it in college for, for a modern history course, but it's uh, basically it's an Orpheus myth, and mm-hmm. the main character who represents Orpheus uh, is a starts off in the 50s and it goes up to modern day at the time, so like 95 or so. Um, and he is responsible for having written the popular music of that span of time. So, like, they have references to, to a song he's writing where he'll, they'll quote a lyric and it's like, oh, that's a Beatles song. Oh, oh. the Beatles don't exist in this universe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they brought up one that I want to read called Kim, uh, called uh, The Years of Rice and Salt by Kim Stanley Robinson. Hmm. Um, I haven't heard of that one. The The idea behind that one is that uh, you know Europe was actually wiped out entirely by the plague oh. so other nations in the area have room to expand and develop differently yeah like Africa wasn't as uh, yeah so stymied. it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been because co- colonialism was not in the 1500s or whenever the bubonic plague happened yeah and so you wouldn't have colonization mm-hmm. you wouldn't have industrialization oh. at, at such a rapid and human exploitative yes. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, that so, would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was really interesting. Um, then I went to the... Was that panel pretty full? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, no, that yeah. panel was full. Like, yeah, I, that seems like a very, like, uh, interesting panel, like, thought-provoking oh, yeah. panel. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I mainly stuck with my strengths. Yeah. Uh, like, I went to the lit history and science tracks. Yeah. Classic um, Zach. Yeah, the um, the the science track though did have a couple of really cool offerings. Um, Franken Science was the first one. It's uh, they talked about where science goes weird. Oh, um, where you know experimentation typically and in, in good scientific approaches mm-hmm. um, is testing limits. Yeah, and testing responses. But and Franken Science is when you move past that into the space of the unnatural. So like, they never said this, but like 19th, 20th century, 20th century vivisectionists. Right? Oh, yeah. So like they did mention uh, an experiment where someone tried grafting the head of a puppy onto the body of a, an adult German shepherd. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, both heads actually did stay alive for four days. Oh, weird. Um, and so one of the panelists brought up the point that the cultural biases kind of determine what's monstrous and not. Because yeah. they posed the question, would that be as terrible if it were two adult dogs? Or is it terrible? My response is, don't it's, test on animals. Don't, like, chop yeah. body parts off and stuff. But, yeah, because, um, I mean, you really get into that gray sort of, like, not playing God, but, like, you know, where people are, like, you're hurting things and killing things in the name of science. Yeah, which I mean, will yeah, it's, will happen, it's but it's a fine line. Like it they, is. they brought up another experiment where Russian doctor, a Russian doctor, was trying to create uh, eight men because hybridization is a thing that makes things stronger. Like mm-hmm. everything we eat modern day has been genetically modified to some extent. Yeah. But they were doing this by crossing male chimp or breeding male chimps with human women. Yeah. Um, and the Russian government actually shut that down. Yeah. Um, and that guy, I, I think, Ew. if I remember my... Ew. The the podcast history that I was listening to of the... Because I, I, I have listened to an episode of, of uh, a show on this. Um, 
they actually relocated that guy, I think, to Siberia somewhere, and he died like two years later. So, um, but they, uh, you know, they brought up some interesting points. Like, um, you know, we wouldn't have organ transplants, uh, 3D printing organs, or stem cell therapy without Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff. And a lot of that is stuff that would be considered, and still in some cases is considered gross. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still the whole debate about like using unborn fetuses and stuff or yeah, stem, stem cell. cells. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that that could be a debate for a another time. Another, and, yeah. Yeah, because that could take up a whole hour and a half or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the interesting ones that they posed was, uh, would you download your consciousness into the cloud? Um, hands down, I would. Really? I, I would, would not. No? No. Well, what if you had the option to self-terminate? When you were just done with the experience, I just I don't trust it. I wouldn't trust it. No. And even if somebody was like, you could self terminate, I would be like, I mean, I, don't I wouldn't be the you. first one in line. Yeah, no, but no. I mean, if that were an option where it was like safe and you wouldn't have any, you know, when I'm done with life, I'm, I'm you're done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's going to suck if like I died in a car crash, like, and I could have had this option, but. I've seen too many episodes of Black Mirror. That's true. I, I I wouldn't, like... I mean, I wouldn't mind living in San Junipero. Yeah, but, like, you don't know forever. But it's not forever because the server's eventually going to die or, you know... Sure. Whatever's hosting your uh, yeah. consciousness. And then you don't really have, like, full control over your consciousness. Yeah, some I mean, that's true. hacker or some person who is very upset could like download you into I don't know a horrible horrible place <laughs> sort of like that black mirror where that guy was trapped in the um, yeah. the cabin yeah where they like slow down time where like a year was Spoil- a second spoilers for uh, black mirror I guess, I mean, yeah. It's, it's been out for, like, three or four years at yeah. this point. Um, so, no, just because I mainly, it's not the ethical question. It's more of I don't trust, like. Yeah, other people. <laughs> well, the, so interestingly enough, the next panel I went to was actually on the science track. Yeah. It's uh, natural or supernatural. Mm-hmm. It was the science of ghost hunting. Oh, so, okay. Separating scientific pursuit from hokum, basically. Yeah. Um, like I mean, I've watching creepy experiences. I don't know if I don't believe in ghosts or don't want to believe in ghosts. Yeah. I've had some <laughs> creepy experiences too, but they were very justifiable. Like you yeah, know, they're I've, explainable. I've woken up um, a couple of times where I feel like paralyzed, where I can't move, and like a pressure on my chest. Yeah, and it's like That's oh, sleep it's sleep paralysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, like I haven't walked into a room and saw like my chair stacked up in a triangle <laughs> or a pyramid or something like that, <laughs> like on you know explainable things. So yeah, I'm kind of more on the hoax part of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely believe in like a soul and stuff like that, but I don't think that there's like. Just ghosts walking around, you know, <laughs> talking to people. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so what did the majority of the people who went to that panel kind of like? I mean, a lot of the people who were actually attending the panel did fall into ghosts or spooky, right? Like, like that was and basically. And ghosts or real. 
I don't think anyone ever actually said ghosts are real, but they said that they're unexplained things that you can't quantify. Like, I think that's the closest anyone said to, came to saying anything of the sort. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of that panel was people talking about their own ghostly experiences, which was interesting to hear. A lot of them were in Savannah. I know I've had my share of them in Savannah. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, it's the most haunted place in the world, I think. Is it? I think. Why? So, (laughs) Savannah... on the triangle? No, 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 no. So, so Savannah um, has a... Like, even in the state of Georgia, Savannah has a different set of um, community development zoning laws Mm -hmm. where you, by law, cannot dig further down than six feet. Okay. Because in Georgia, if you find a body, whether it's old or not, you have to stop and then start a police investigation. Okay. And so in Savannah, especially with, I I think, the typhoid fever... um, Mm -hmm. Lots of people were just buried in mass graves. Okay. And so it, the entire city is built on burial ground. Burial, okay. Yeah. So that's <laughs> why it's uh, well, like, the most haunted place. Yeah, well, like the... Um, Cause the I famous, think I've been to Savannah once, maybe? Well, so there's a, a famous cemetery there called Bonaventure, uh-huh. and I forget where what the actual numbers are, Yeah. but the... Um, there's one plaque that tells you how many tombstones there are mm-hmm. or headstones there yeah. are. Uh, and then separately in another area, there's a different number listed of the amount of bodies what? buried there. And Just that number is much higher yeah. than the number of tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I've been to Oakland cemetery, which is a very famous cemetery here in Atlanta. And like, I just, I haven't, seen or like felt a spooky presence or something yeah. like that. Um I don't maybe maybe tonight a ghost will come maybe and be a ghost like will come. Yeah. And be like, believe, Stuart <laughs> and I will start believing. But I guess as of now, yeah. yeah. I do really want to go on like a um a ghost adventure or a ghost, ghost tour. tour. Yeah. They They're have, so good. I go I've been on several in Savannah. In Savannah? They're yeah. very good. That's really cool. I know that they have some in Savannah, and they also have some over at the um, Oakland Cemetery, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... I've never been to the one in Oakland Cemetery. I feel like I've... I suffer from the same um, state of of mind of a lot of people who live in, like, New York or L.A., where it's just like, because I live here, I don't want to do the touristy things. things. Yeah. (laughs) But when you're in Savannah... But I should do them, because, yeah, I'm a tourist in Savannah. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah. So, then on Saturday, uh, and th- these are just highlights. Uh, like I said, there's way too much for one or even two of us to cover Yeah. Um, at, at any convention. But especially at this one with so much outdoor stuff. Like, there was a car show. Really? Like, yeah, you know, like the Dragon Con car show where there's, like, the Ghostbuster, like, celebrity cars. Oh. Are there, like, the Batmobile. Uh, oh, okay. There. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I didn't know that... DragonCon even had a uh, car show in the parade. In the parade, not a car show. Sorry, (laughs) yeah, during the during the parade. When you say car show, I'm thinking of people like popping up their hoods and being like, and that's what this was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, people. Where is it? Like old timey cars or something like that? No, they were like celebrity cars. Like um, the DeLorean from Back to the Future was there. Um, The General Lee from Dukes of Hazard. Cool. 
the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but on Saturday, one of the the interesting history panels that I went to um, was Vice in the 1620s. Mm-hmm. It was an 18 and up panel. Um, ah. The uh, a lot of well, one of the things that the the panelists brought up was that a lot of what we consider normal now mm-hmm. was vice then and vice versa. Huh. Yeah. If that makes sense? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, people smoked weed back in the day and right. it wasn't illegal and now it's... It wasn't illegal, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's illegal. So, the interesting things, some of the interesting things he brought up, because he brought up a lot of stuff. He had uh, board games and card games on display from the time period, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, here's some of the card games. Um, one, you have to... And, and keep in mind, this panelist was more focused on, like, Cossack area Russia, so, like, Ukraine, mm-hmm. northern Russia type type area. So, yeah, where um, it's cool within your board. Yeah. So so he, he mentioned that there, there were... Uh, the games had simple rules because they were made to be played when you were blind drunk. Yeah. Right, um, it was not uncommon to see people gambling, and then when they won, they would give indulgences to the losers, like plenary indulgences. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you're sinning. Sorry, you lost money. Here, don't feel bad about uh. it. Right. But uh, one of the games you mentioned was pigs fly in the ship sails. Uh, basically, you take cards and you pass around the deck, and each person takes a card until they hand have a hand of five. And mm-hmm. each round that goes by, you put more money in the pot. Okay. And you're trying to get um, five of the same suit. Right? Oh, so it's a okay. five-round thing. Yeah. It's kind of a proto-poker. Yeah. Because there's no dealer involved. Like, it just... The person who starts changes. Yeah. And then you just pass the deck mm-hmm. around rather than drawing from a central deck. Yeah. Huh. Um, Kinds was another popular one where you try to get five cards in a hand of... Uh, in a hand and get three of a kind. Oh, yeah. Super so simple. Like, yeah. you, you, you can play you that can play while you're obliterating yeah. it. One of the interesting ones that I kind of wanted to play, um, he, he didn't, I don't think he said he had a board there or not, but um, it was called Fox and the Geese. I've never heard of that. Yeah. So essentially one person plays chess and the other person plays checkers. Oh. So, and here's how it works. So, I mean... Rules-wise, that's what's going on. It's not with the pieces. Oh, okay. Um, so the person playing the fox is trying to eliminate the geese. So they're they're playing checkers. Okay. The per- person playing the goose is trying to corner the fox so that they can't move on the board anymore. So they're essentially playing chess. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, right? that's really... <laughs> you'd think that that game wouldn't translate over to like a modern game or something like that. Yeah. With that kind of concept, that would be really cool. Yeah. To sort of see it, you know, brought over and, uh, I guess, revamped rules and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I kind of want to, like... Though, that seems more of a complicated game where you have to be, like, yeah. not drunk. Yeah, you have to be not drunk. Some, yeah. some of these are just tavern games, oh. too. Oh, okay. Um, so, smoking clubs were popular in Europe. Um, at the time, like, they, this is pre-germ theory, mm-hmm. but... Um, so in smoking clubs, it was not uncommon to have uh, these big clay pipes that were maybe 18 to 20 inches long okay. and segmented. Sort of like your Gandalf pipe? Well, no. So there's no, like, common, I don't know the term, pit. Um, it's more like it's a really, really long pipe that's just been packed with whatever you're smoking. Mm-hmm. 
um, and it's segmented. So as you pass the pipe around, you actually break off a section of the pipe. It's meant to be broken oh. as you smoke it. Huh. Um, so each section of the pipe uh, has its own mouthpiece, essentially, so you're not using the same one. Oh, that's um, nice. It was used as a digestive aid. Mainly people uh, smoked a mixture of, like, hemp and tobacco. Yeah. Um, drinking. So... Again, this is focused on Ukraine. Um, The standard mug for drinking was a coffee cup-sized mug, and it was considered a shot. Oh, jeez. A typical session would be four or five shots worth, right? Wow. The Ukrainian national drink, and it's still the national drink, is something called Hrilka, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially what it is is 120-proof vodka, (laughs) and then you add 27-plus spices to it, so... Some of the examples he used were chamomile, valerian, catnip, um, St. John's wort. Yeah. Um, wow. Which you can still buy catnip cigarettes because yeah. when they when they burn, a lot of times in plays, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll use them. I know with your acting background, I don't know, maybe you've had no. anyone smoking on stage. That's no. typically what it is. Usually they smoke the, cigarettes. Well, it won't set the fire alarm uh-huh. off in mm-hmm. smaller places. Um, but then they'll also put bison grass in it. Um which bison grass is legal today. It's not illegal in America mm-hmm. because, well, okay. So in low doses, it's it gives you this good feeling. <laughs> with medium doses, guy. it's uh, it's an aphrodisiac, huh. and then with high doses, it's hallucinogenic Ooh. because it's essentially toxic. Yeah. Um. So, the thing to do with this drink at at the time in the 1620s, I don't know if this is still done, but um. Because of all these spices that are floating in it that have seeped into the liquid, yeah. when you're done drinking it, you actually take the dregs and you pack it in your pipe and then you smoke <laughs> it. So it's like the drink that keeps on giving. giving. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, obviously, prostitution was rampant. That was another vice. Um, root beer. I would like to point this out. Yeah. Because I did not know this. Hmm. Um It used to be that because of uh, cities having really poor water quality because hygiene, toxicity from whatever was in the area. Yeah. Um, People in larger cities used to actually drink root beer so that they could stay hydrated and also not get obliteratedly drunk because root beer was between 2 and 5% alcohol Ah. because the alcohol kills off Oh, yeah. All the stuff. So it's actually, it will keep you hydrated, mm-hmm. technically. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's liquid. It's like, um, but you're not just like... But you're not getting wasted. wasted so drunk. a lot of times it's asso- it became associated with children in different areas of the world. Just because drink it. Yeah. you would give it to kids because mm-hmm. it tastes not like straight vodka or whiskey. Yeah, right? and it was killing yeah. off like the germs and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so then in the science track, uh, there was a head of their time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was focused on Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. Oh, yeah, they were ahead of their time. Oh, yeah. Um, so Verne, the conclusion I, I, I came away with was that Verne was probably better with design uh, and characterizing his the, the characters in his works. Yeah. Um, being more like hard science, like tech, and this is how it works and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, Wells was better with big sci-fi concepts mm-hmm. and world building, um, but his stories tend to just end. <laughs> um, 
the tech in his stories is kind of irrelevant, but the story is what's important. Yeah, his tech's very, like, I guess soft and loose, and like yeah. it doesn't really go into the mechanics of yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. No. Well, and, and um, people spent time talking about the, uh, the War of the Worlds broadcast, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. Um, but they pointed out that there's a lot of theory that it wasn't as pandemonious as it was made to seem. Yeah, I think people kind of, like, escalate the, the, I guess, effect of it just for, like, stories and... Well, so they were saying that um, the reason for that is that newspapers were kind of starting to, or felt like they were dying out because radio was the new thing, and so they over... They, they did it to, to get a kick in at radio of, like, you can't trust the radio. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it wasn't really, like, as disastrous <laughs> as people make it out to be. Yeah. Um, which is really, really interesting. Uh, also, Orson Welles apparently did put warnings in that it was for show. Uh-huh. But he would put them in in specific areas where he knew people would be... Using the restroom or like well, away. well, no, like they would be switching to the channel because the way he he placed it in the program, it was right before a show on another channel would have ended that everyone would have been listening to based uh, on the numbers. Yeah, and so he'd go. Uh, by the way, this is a reenactment or a reimagining of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. This mm-hmm. is a fictional broadcast, and then they would move directly into the thing. <laughs> so by the time people tune over to it, they don't hear the warning. Warn, yeah, <laughs> they think this is actual real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, science track. Georgia Reptile Society was there. Oh, that's cool. I love seeing them all yeah. the time. Did they bring a lot of, like, live animals? Yeah, or? so they brought uh, the tortoise. They brought uh, Paula Dean, mm-hmm. the big uh, butter-colored um, Burmese python. Wow, they must hit a lot of these cons. They do. Okay. They do. And and I always encourage people to donate to them yeah. uh, because they're a really good charity. Um the uh, they they it's also a, always a good show too. It's like a good they, show. Yeah. It's very informative. Um, they brought up the there's an organization that they direct people to called Save the Snakes, mm-hmm. um, and it's important you you go through them if you're wanting to donate money to someone setting up like preservation, say in Africa, for example. Yeah. Um, because they they route money to legitimate organizations there that actually train people working there. Um, in the preservation and, and technician roles of yeah. maintaining these animals in these spaces themselves, yeah. rather than routing that money into the pocket of a warlord or a grifter, because yeah. that's still a problem. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, and it's kind of funny. A lot of the money that uh, those people pick up are from people who are donating to, like, charitable... What look like charitable yeah. organizations, but and it's easy to set up, hey, I'm a... Yeah. Whatever, give me I'm money. I'm trying to save the lions in Africa. I've got this lion, like, reserve. Give me money. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, the money just, like, gets funneled to a warlord or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they bring the animals out into the audience. Um, and it, it's always funny to actually touch these animals. And mm-hmm. you imagine snakes as being not particularly 
um, soft. Yeah, they're actually pretty, but they're actually very soft. Yeah, um, especially if you're going uh, with the grain. Yeah, well, and and something that they mentioned is that you know you obviously wouldn't approach these animals like this if they were in the wild. Yeah. but like these particular animals, like Paula Dean, the snake. The Burmese python, <laughs> to clarify, um, has been on national TV like two or three times. Like she's comfortable with people. Like yeah, she's not going to freak out. She's been under lights before. She's been yeah. stroked or whatnot. Yeah, but, I mean um, she's just so um, I guess familiar with humans. Like they can't let her back into the wild because yeah, yeah, she would just go up to humans and be like, "Hey, I'm okay." <laughs> yeah. Well, and and um, the. One of the funny quotes that I pulled was the um, the guy carrying around uh, one of the pythons, not not Paula Deen, but one of the pythons, uh, or actually it was a constrictor. Uh, someone was concerned about him being choked, and he's like, "No, this this is a smaller one." For um, rule of thumb is that for every six feet of snake, you need to have another person. Huh. Makes Which sense. I mean, the muscle distribution that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they brought up the uh, Burmese python problem in Florida. Which hmm. I didn't know that there, there was a problem. It's just open season. It's been like this for like at least thirty years. Oh wow! Um, a lot of it, I I I think I've read elsewhere. This didn't come up in the panel, but I think I've read elsewhere that it's because of the exotic animal handlers that were coming in and selling dangerous exotic animals to uh, drug dealers uh-huh. in the seventies and eighties. Sometimes they would just let loose their animals, yeah, right? Just be like, whatever. So Burmese pythons actually have a really bad infestation problem in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, of the specimens that they that are killed and brought in and redeemed or whatever, ninety um, percent of them can actually be traced to one source. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's another, pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, another interesting fact. I'm not a hugely science-minded person, mm-hmm. uh, or my biology skills are not very high, right? Mm-hmm. But um, do you know what parthenogenesis is? Nope. It's um, mm-hmm. single-parent reproduction. Oh, okay. Um, not asexual like, reproduction, because asexual is, is... Like buddy. Is different. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but parthenogenesis uh, in Komodo dragons, they can reproduce... Uh, both male and female mm-hmm. parthenogenically hmm. because of how their chromosomes are made. Um, usually parthenogenesis only occurs when it's female offspring. Ah, you know what? Nature always finds a way. Nature finds a way. There you go. Is, uh, it, is it nature finds a way or nature always finds a way? Life finds a way. Life finds yeah. a way. Nah, I totally Close. missed up that uh, quote. Close. Uh, and so this is probably going to be the last one I'll talk about because it's it's the longest and most involved, mm-hmm. I think, is uh, his, uh, Hysteria and the Occult in the Victorian Era on oh. the History Track. Um, so it went over the development of spiritualism, basically, in America. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, a lot of it was... Uh, came out of a struggle to adapt to large societal changes that were going on in the Victorian age. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the time, you have to keep in mind, you're still in the early stages of germ theory. Uh, There's no real understanding of neurology or endocrinology. Mm -hmm. Um, Medical practitioners are typically competing with spiritual healers and faith healers. Yeah. Right? Um, Drink this medicine or pray. Well, there's a funny meme online going around of like, 
You know, it'd be great to be a 19th century doctor because you could just be like, you got ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the leeches. Yeah. Um, so so they also brought up that, uh, you know, in, in the Victorian era, excess of any kind was really pushed back against because of the debauched early, early 19th century. Hmm. Um, hmm. Because there's that shift between Regency era and Victorian era. Yeah. Regency era, you know... It, Everyone's a little bit more free and open and loose about things. Yeah, people aren't. Um, Also, death was just everywhere. It was a part of life. Um, There's no real separation between death and life like there is today. Uh, People would die at home and then be displayed in the parlor for three days if they had a home or the church if they didn't have a home, right? Uh, When hospitals become the place that that people die, um, you know, the parlor got renamed the living room. Ah. But you just don't really have that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, children weren't usually named until they were around two. You want to make sure <laughs> just that they... Make, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ugh, gosh. And then there was also this idea that you could not get into heaven without a whole body. Uh, right, and you yeah. couldn't be displayed in a church. So it started to have this comforting idea of having a whole spirit, mm-hmm. right? Rather than pieces of spirit that were going around, right? right yeah. And so spiritualism... I mean, that's kind of like the Greek thing where it's, you know, you have to have a whole body to sort of, like, be reborn into a particular uh, spiritual plane and stuff like that, so... Yeah, yeah. well, and, and like, the um, they, they, they brought up that a lot of this really took hold. Uh, spiritualism, which, by the way, started in upstate New York, um, Lil- Lilydale, New York, mm-hmm. uh, by the Fox sisters, um, who were Quakers, uh, which they're Protestant, um, offshoot. Yeah. Um, where, you know, they allowed women to speak in church basically. (laughs) Um, so a lot of the spiritualism came out from, from this region of the country of the upstate New York, because, in New York, um, they were the state to suffer the most casualties during the Civil War. Oh, and the Civil War huh. is the first real modern technological war where yeah. the people are being blown apart. Right? Yeah, where you don't have a whole body. Um, and so the, this was a comforting idea to have a whole spirit. Right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, spiritualism is essentially American, which I've always associated with England. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's American got really popular after the civil war. And then after world war one, the, it kind of got exported to England. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spirit photography was a big thing. Really spirit photography is just double exposure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) she did mention, and I kind of want to see the, see this as a movie or a show or whatever. Arthur Conan Doyle and Harriet Houdini, teamed up to expose charlatans and grifters. Wow. That, yeah. Doyle that's kind was of... huge in the occult. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but but Harry Houdini really resented people being bilked out of money. Like, people who were in pain being bilked out of their money. Yeah. And so, a lot of these charlatans were using, like, at the time, state-of-the-art stage equipment mm-hmm. that regular people weren't familiar with. Yeah. But like Harry Houdini only, knows about yeah, it. Yeah, because he was using it all the time. Well, and so what they would do is is uh, Houdini would, um, would 
show what a grifter did on a stage <laughs> and then break down for the audience how it how? happened. Yeah. Uh, and then name these people by name. Oh, wow. He um, went the whole nine yards. Yeah. So he, he would just show in exacting detail how they were done. Hmm. Um, one of the biggest uh, people in the movement was uh, Victoria Woodhull, um, which kind of ties spiritualism with women's rights and the suffrage movement. Yeah. Um, she was the first female candidate for president in 1872. Wow. Um, that's cool. Frederick Douglass was huh. her running mate. <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's a heck yeah. of a ticket. Yeah, I know. Um, so they brought up the story that she was actually spiritual advisor to Cornelius Vanderbilt. She would give him stock tips from the beyond. From <laughs> What she was really doing is that she would contact friends of hers who were sex workers, find out what the guys that they were with were talking about, and then pass that information off to Vanderbilt, which oh. would, of course, be right because yeah. these are business leaders. Wow. That's, that's, um, in, that's yeah, that's awesome. You Our had a, this, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you, you had a, a lot of spiritualists also being committed uh, in mental hospitals against their will because of... of Fear of the the beyond and silencing women. Yeah. But you can actually still go to Lilydale, New York. Uh, it's still the spiritualist capital of the world. Hmm. Um, I kind of want to go there. Yeah, uh, that the would time, be interesting. Well, at the time, it was one of the only places where single women could live by themselves. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so you have a lot of uh, supposition of marginalized communities moving there, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who would today identify as trans... Um, being able to live in a community and not just be hectored out of it. Yeah. Um, like outside or on the fringe. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the last panel that I went to uh, yesterday. Okay. Um, there's, there's some stuff I did want to cover. Um, yeah. Of Because this is the last year, where to go now? If yeah, you're interested like, in alt history. Yeah, where yeah. to go, what uh, what to explore, what um, resources to use. Yeah, yeah. so um, in, in here in Atlanta, locally, it's, uh, you know, Atlanta Steampunk Expo happens. Yeah. I've never been before, but I am familiar with the person who runs that, mm-hmm. and he does very good work in all the other conventions I've been to. Oh, cool. Uh, but they, they have a Facebook page. It's Atlanta Steampunk Expo. Uh, Blackbird Finery um, is a company that sells vintage gentlemen's and uh, clothing ornaments and oh. stuff like that. So vests, yeah. jewelry, stuff like that. Um, actually, every now and then you see them have uh, pop-up shops oh, cool. in the area. Here around Atlanta. Um, and then you can also look at time travel events. Uh, usually they're ticketed events. Um, I don't think... I know in, in March they have one coming up called the Goblin Market. Huh. It's kind of like a pop-up shop that they facilitate. Where's that located at? Or um, where's it going to be? I don't know. I know if you go to their Facebook page... Hmm. Um, I have it ticked as interested. Yeah. Uh, I, I might go uh, yeah, if I have work off. Yeah. Because I typically work on the weekends. Yeah, which sucks. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, time travel events also has ticketed events like dinners and stuff, um, usually around the holidays. Like, they're themed, like, yeah. Victorian style. This is, you know, the 12th night or whatever. Yeah. Though um, so I feel like you usually have to have, like, those are costumed events. Yes, those yes. are costumed events. So yeah. you do have to kind of dress up for the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now for 
in in the brief research I did uh, mm. before coming over here um, to record with you, uh, there's multiple national conventions for oh. steampunk and alt history. Nice. Um, there's the International Steampunk Symposium in Cincinnati, Ohio this March. Um, but there is actually a website. Uh, I know the ones that I look at are mainly on the Southeast Fandom Expo because I'm in the Southeast. Southeast, yeah. Um, Makes sense. But this website is steampunkcons.com, mm-hmm. and it's just a list nationally and internationally. There were some in, in I think, Surrey, England. Oh, wow. There was one in Alberta, Canada. Like So, so depending on where you're at, uh, you might have a steampunk convention near you. Yeah, because it's definitely still a, um, a growing um, fandom. Right. Yeah. I think that a lot of people will think that it's on the decline or it's plateaued, but I do feel like there's still a strong base, and it's a a growing strong base, too. So definitely check out a lot of those particular events. Um, I have a a couple of questions. Sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I guess my first question is, did they have an exhibit? Hall, or was there a place that you... Yes, there was a vendor hall. Um, Again, this goes back to it being mainly a maker convention Mm -hmm. and a costuming convention um, that a lot of the things in there were not necessarily things that I would personally seek out. Of course. Um, There were a lot of authors there. There were a lot of people selling like corsets and top hats, uh, jewelry, things like that. But they do have a, they did have a vendor hall as well that was really well staffed and really well stocked. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because I know that a lot of people try to go to some of these conventions to flesh out their costumes or to get like particular, um, I guess, accessories for their costumes. So it's nice that they had that. Well, yeah. And I mean, this, this, Type of convention is one that you would want to go to if you were filling out a costume. Like yeah. If you have your, you know, a few years ago at Dragon Con, there was Steampunk X-Men. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's um, always, like, the steampunk um, ball dance. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess kind of leads me to my next question. Was there any, like, dances or, like, late night sort of events or... There were late night events. There were... There were there was one party on Saturday evening because I know uh, you're not really like performances. A big fan of the party sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not. There, um, I usually get to those, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, I got too many old bones that have been broken. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, there was one party. Um, a lot of the late night stuff. Uh, one of them, I, I just didn't have a chance to do because I was exhausted yeah, no, <laughs> because no. there was so much going on during yeah, the day. And you get there really early. Too, yeah. I get so. there really early. And, and, um, it was a magic and mentalism show oh. from this, this uh, group called Nevermore. Um, they've been to conjuration. Um, they're always performing like they, they had a midnight show this year. Oh, wow. So it's, you know, them doing magic tricks, them doing mentalist tricks and hypnotism and stuff like that, That's which cool. is really cool and fits with the theme. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I hate that this is the last year. Yeah, but, um, that really does suck. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad that, you know, um, we well, you were able to make it yeah. this particular <laughs> year. Was there a lot of people in costumes? Yes. Um, yeah, like, I would say a good 75 to 80% of 
the the attendees were in costume. Okay. Um, especially with it being Rory, Roaring Twenties, you had people in suits with pencil-thin mustaches yeah. and a Tommy gun. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you end up getting any pictures of any? Uh, no, I did not. I um, but but yeah, like a, a lot of the costumes were more twenty-sided than like full-on. I've got gears and goggles and stuff like that. Although yeah. there was some of that as well. Cool. Um, but but yeah, and that just goes again because this is mainly I, I would call it a makers convention. Yeah, um, that a lot of people are showing off the cosplay that they do and things like that. Yeah, or like you know, going to particular panels to learn how to improve their cosplay, right, or whatnot. Yeah, nice. And um, I guess how. If you had to judge, I know that you didn't have any numbers, but, like, what do you think the turnout was? Like, was a lot of these panels pretty full? Yeah, a lot of the panels I went to were pretty full. Mm -hmm. Um, The... If I had to guess, probably around the same size as... Hulanta okay. last year. So yeah. if you listen to our episode, I think I had numbers for that. Yeah, so <laughs> um, go ahead and give it a listen to if you're curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those were my main questions about okay. the convention. Did, and you, I mean, you had a fun time, I assume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had a, yeah. I definitely had a fun time. Great time. It's always good to, to connect with people I've seen at other conventions and, you know, talk about the fun they're having as well. Yeah, because you um, knew most of the uh, staff here, right? Well, I mean, not most of uh, I knew, like, four or five people. Yeah. Okay. That I volunteered with at other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's... Um, it was a really good time, um, and I'll definitely miss it. Yeah, and hopefully everybody who had participated in it, who ran it, will find s- another particular project to work on or land on their feet. So we definitely look forward to new things popping up. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, as they say, when the door closes, a, a window, window opens. opens. Or an airship opens. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. All right. So, um, yeah, with that, we'll uh, just see you guys in a couple weeks with our next episodes. Yeah. Um, What is the current book club book? Uh, Little Little Prince. Prince. Yes. Little Prince is mm -hmm. the current book club book. Um, So that should come out in a little while. So get reading on that if you're taking part. Yeah. And we'll see you guys later. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye.